this morning is from Exodus. I'm actually going to be looking at kind of three chapters, but don't worry, I'm not going to go through all three chapters. I'm going to be focusing on uh, different parts, but we're looking at the uh, the plagues of Egypt, and it's kind of hard to just uh, pick out one at a time, so we're going to get a bit of an overview of what's going on here. But I picked for our particular reading the first 13 verses from chapter 7 of Exodus. But if you would like to turn it up in your Bibles and kind of keep open at those places, because I'll be referring to little, uh, little bits th- throughout chapters 7 to 10 as we go. So Exodus 7, beginning at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard. And he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are Lord. And Lord, we just ask that uh, you would have your way amongst us now. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us. Lord, would my words be your words. Just uh, unpack your truths this morning, I pray, that uh, we might understand the mind of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. I was um, going to the railway station a few weeks ago, and uh, I don't know if you've been to Warrington Bank Key Station, but they have two ticket machines where if you pre-ordered or if you want to pay by your credit card, you can go and uh, um, tap various numbers into the screen, now comes your ticket. Anyway, I turned up, and it was about five minutes before the train left, and there was this great huge queue of people waiting behind one ticket machine, and the other one was completely empty. I'm thinking, what on earth is going on here? So there were probably six or seven people before me, and it takes about a minute to uh, um, uh, go through the process, and I thought, I'm going to miss my train here. So I asked the person in front, and said, why are people not using that machine? They said, oh, it's broken. Somebody's already tried, and it doesn't work. Oh dear. So I looked on the screen and it looked all right to me. And if you must know, our company actually does the software on these machines. So I, so I thought, you know, I'm not going to have this. Just to be careful, I said, look, 
do you mind if I come back in my place just in case it doesn't work? Because <laughs> the queue behind me was starting to build up. So I went up to this other machine, put my credit card in, and it worked. So I got on, I was able to get my tickets, and of course, as soon as I'd done it, everybody else followed. But I went up to the platform, and, and the lady that had been waiting behind me came up to me and said, thank you so much for doing that. The stubbornness of the people in front didn't want to look at what the machine was saying. They only wanted to listen to what people had said before them. And they would have all missed their train had they not been able to use that second machine. And today we're going to be looking a little bit about stubbornness, about how hardness of heart can prevent us from seeing the truths of God and being set free in God. And we are returning to um, our study of Exodus. Remember a few uh, weeks back, we started through the first uh, six chapters of Exodus. Um, Story so far, um, if you go back to the end of Genesis, we've got Jacob and his sons um, emigrating, as it were, to Egypt to escape the famine that was in Israel. And uh, the, the Israelites were increasingly successful in the land of Egypt, and Pharaoh was beginning to get a bit uh, uh, upset at this. And so, in effect, he enslaved the Israelites um, to uh, do all their, their hard work. And we see some of the pain and the hardship that the Israelites went through. And the Israelites had cried out to God that God would set them free. And so we get to this point in the story. The confrontation between Moses, Aaron, and Pharaoh challenging Pharaoh to let God's people free. Now, a little bit of a background about Egypt. Egypt at that time was a desperately religious nation. Desperately religious and desperately superstitious. They had probably hundreds of gods that they worshipped. They worshipped Pharaoh as a god himself. They worshipped the River Nile as what they believed, the source of life. They worshipped the sun. They worshipped insects. They worshipped animals. And I'm sure if you've seen some Egyptian art, you'll see that all this um, kind of comes through in, uh, in what is presented. If we could have our slides up, please. Jonathan, and if you can go to the next slide. Next one, please. And next, please. In a sense, the nation of Egypt summed up pretty much everything that we looked at when we looked at Romans chapter 1 a few weeks back. In worshipping all these creatures, these, these things, these concepts, they had exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they'd worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. But, you know, despite this folly, despite going against God's word, Egypt was a very successful nation. But God could not let them get away with such blasphemy. And what we see as we look at the unfolding of the, of the uh, plagues and God's work is God's mighty hand of judgment upon the nation of Egypt. Now, the ten plagues that we see unfolded um, in chapters 7 to 10 
and uh, in a little bit into 11, of Exodus, probably one of the best-known stories. Right? It's taught in Sunday schools. You can probably list um, what those ten plagues are. And uh, I guess we often look at that story as God's power um, being meted out to almost bash Pharaoh and his uh, officials into submission, into letting his people go. But actually, it's so much more than that. The story is full of symbolism and truth. It's full of um, looking ahead, in a sense, to the unfolding of God's eternal plan. You see, the plagues not only destroyed Egypt physically by the damage that it did, it also destroyed them spiritually because they were a direct attack on the very core of the spiritual beliefs that the Egyptians had. In a sense, these plagues were a showdown between Almighty God and the gods of the Egyptians. And, you know, when you read this story, before the plague start, the, the, the bit that I read about Moses and, and Aaron and his staff and um, snakes, it's almost a bit like a kind of uh, face-off, a kind of comic showdown, isn't it? You know, I entitled this talk, uh, kind of anything you can do, I can do better. <laughs> you know, it's a bit, it was a bit like that. You know, it took me a while to suss out that actually... When God was performing some miracles, Pharaoh and his magicians fought back. And they performed miracles as well. I'm thinking, well, how did they do that? And why did they do that? Now, I'm probably going to live to regret this, but I'm going to do a bit of a magic trick for you. don't know if you believe in magic, do you? I have to say, we've got Ken Kelly coming to uh, um, lead our service in a a few weeks' time, and he's far better at magic than I am. But let's give it a go. Get my prop here. Right, I've got a... It's a shame that uh, you're all so so far away. But an empty empty can of Coke here, right? I hope it's empty, yep. Nothing in there. Empty can of Coke, nothing there. I'm going to try to crush this can. I'm then going to try and restore it. I'm then going to try and fill it up. And if you want some Coke, you can have some to drink. Can I turn an empty can of Coke into a full can? So let's try. Squash the can first. Okay. Can I, do you think, restore this can of Coke? Do you think just by the power of kind of thought? Have you? Well, I don't know. But let's see. Let's just see if I can. What I'm going to do is try and restore the seal on the can. And rub very carefully. Just to see. <laughs> have we restored the seal you on the camera? Have I filled it? 
Would anybody like to try and drink what I fill this up with? Anybody like Coke? You can tell me if that is real Coke or not. Wow. Empty can of Coke, restored and filled. If you want to know how I did that, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) But, you know, the, the Egyptian magicians were able to perform magic acts. There's two reasons I think they could do that. Either a bit of sleight of hand, kind of like I did, Or there were some other supernatural forces at work here. And I think it's the latter. Could we have the next animation? You see, Ephesians 6 tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against physical things, but it's against the powers, the authorities of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Now, I think that first miracle that God asked Moses and Aaron to perform in front of the Israelites went straight to the heart of what the problem was. Because what was it involving? Serpents. And if you see Egyptian headdresses, they have snakes and serpents kind of all through their their beliefs. And what is the serpent a sign of? It's a sign of the devil. And what happened in this miracle? Even though the magicians were able to turn their staffs into snakes, and read carefully what it says, Aaron's staff gobbled them up. What a beautiful sign that is, a staff of wood able to gobble up what the magicians had created. What a sign of the future that the cross of wood that Jesus hung on would destroy the powers of the evil one. So God was going right to the heart of what fundamentally was wrong with Egyptians and their religious practices. They were following God and they were looking for the spiritual, um, almost miracles and signs that the devil could bring. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And if you don't believe that actually spiritual forces can be evil as well as good, that not only God can perform miracles, but Satan can perform miracles, just look at some of the New Testament passages. Just look at at the, the man called Legion. His supernatural strength, his power, everybody was scared of, of him. Yep. And yet what happened? When confronted by Jesus, he fell on his face because he knew that Jesus was Lord. And what about that slave girl who was able to fortune tell in Acts and who was bugging Paul something terrible following her around? That girl knew supernaturally who Paul was and that he was filled with the Spirit of God. So there are spiritual forces. Miracles are not just of God. They're also of Satan. And we need to be wise and aware of that. Now, the thing is that Pharaoh had gathered around him people who did his bidding. 
And we have to be really careful that what we're seeking after is not just entertainment and thrills, but it's the heart of God. Because that is what God looks. We're in a consuming, consumption-led world, chasing after things that we can possess and things that will uh, entertain us. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. So, let's have a look at some of these plagues and the symbolism behind them, Jonathan. Ten plagues, they were a show of God's power, they were an act of judgment, and they were a warning of things to come. Run through very quickly. First one, God turned the Nile into blood. And having pointed out the fact that God was God over the devil in the form of a serpent, he now challenged the Egyptians' belief that life came from the river Nile by turning it into blood. A symbol, a sign that life actually only comes from the blood of Jesus. Now, whether it was actually literal blood, and some people would claim, well, it's all about uh, kind of red sediment washed down from uh, um, further upstream. Do you know what? I don't actually know, and, and I don't think it matters that much. What happened was, when God instructed, it happened. And sometimes God uses the natural things to teach us lessons, and sometimes God works supernaturally. Whether there's a natural explanation for me does not diminish the power of God that's able to say it is going to happen now and it is going to happen for this reason, exactly as he commanded. Now, the interesting thing is that it also said the magicians were able to do the same things by their secret arts. The magicians could also turn water into blood. Why on earth would they do that? Why would they make things worse for them? But for me, it's a message that actually when we mess with things, when we try to substitute our abilities for what God can do, we make things worse. And note, the magicians could not reverse what God had done. They could only make it worse. So then the next one is the plague of frogs. And this one was uh, a target of a frog god that the Egyptians had that stood for resurrection and new life. And what did God do? He brought the frogs out and eventually they died and were stinking throughout the kingdom. God was showing that only he can bring about resurrection and new life. The Egyptian gods were worthless. But you know what? The magicians were able to do the same thing. They were able to summon out of the Nile more frogs. Goodness, real power. So then the third one, the plague of gnats. This one was targeted at some of the insect gods that the Egypt and Egyptians had. But this time, Pharaoh's magicians 
could not duplicate it. I wonder why. What was different about this one? So the plague was that when Aaron struck his staff on the ground, the very dust turned into living gnats. And I think there's a real message here that no matter how hard we try, God is the only one that can bring life from dust. He created us from dust in the first instance. And we'll return to that. But it shows that there is a limit to Satan's power. There are things that he cannot do. He cannot bring about life. He cannot create things. Only Almighty God can do that. Then the flies. And by this time, Pharaoh's starting to get a little bit cheesed off with all this. And by the way, these plagues weren't necessarily brought kind of one day after the other. They probably went on for about a year. And he started to bargain with God, or Moses rather, saying, uh, look, I'll make a deal with you. Take them away and we'll let your people go. And so on and so forth throughout the plagues. I'm not going to dwell on all of them, but progressively Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. He would say, yes, I'm going to let them go, and then change his mind when God sorted things out. And I just wonder for us, how often do we kind of say, well, God, you know, I'll follow you, I'll trust you if you'll only do this when times are hard. But then when everything seems okay again, we forget. God wants us to follow him no matter what, no matter what the circumstances, in good times, in bad times, he wants us to follow us. God attacked the sun god, Ra, by bringing darkness. And by the time we get to kind of plague six, seven, eight, and nine, God's actually saying, I'm going to attack the Egyptians, but I'm going to leave the Israelites untouched. What a wonderful sign that is, I think, and a reminder that, you know, we live in a world of sin, and there is no guarantee that as Christians we'll be exempt from the suffering that that sin brings. Sometimes we are exposed to this stuff. But when times are really hard, God will protect us and look after us, set us apart. What a wonderful message that is. I'm going to come back to Plague 10 in a moment, where uh, um, the death of the firstborn um, and kind of what that means. But I'll come back a little bit in that. We could just click on. But after all these plagues, Egypt was left physically destroyed, economically destroyed, and spiritually destroyed. And if you look at the kind of history books and the timescales, Egypt went from a powerful, mighty nation very quickly to one in ruins. Where is the might of Egypt now? When God brings judgment, he brings it surely. Right, next please, John. If you've noticed throughout, um, and if you've kind of been skimming through those chapters, you'll see that seven times the phrase is used Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Despite what he saw, he would not listen. 
despite the miracles, he would not change his way. And in the end, it got to the point by about plague six or something like that, that actually God started hardening Pharaoh's heart. Five times it's mentioned, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It gets to a point where if we continue to ignore God, then we kind of reap a self-fulfilling prophecy about not listening. Pharaoh started with a hard heart, but it only became worse. Next, Jonathan, please. So, there were a couple of times, four times in all, that um, Pharaoh tried to bargain with Moses. The first one was that he said, well, you can go and worship God, but do it in the land of Egypt. I'll give you that freedom, but don't go. And for me, this is a clear message that as Christians, we've got to understand that whilst we're in the world, actually we have to separate ourselves from it. Because if we stay close to the world, then we get dragged back into the ways of the world. And as we've seen, the ways of Egypt were worshipping gods that were not right. But that was unacceptable to God. It was unacceptable to Moses and Aaron. Next one. So the next negotiation that Pharaoh tried was, he said, you know, don't go too far away. Just go a little bit. And a lot of the um, kind of world would say, when you become a Christian, don't be a fanatic about it. You know, don't kind of really uh, push the boat out. Don't become weird about it. But God wants us to be serious, no matter what that implies. Right? Just going halfway is not good enough for God. The next one. Then Pharaoh tried to say, well, just send your men. Leave your women, leave your children here in Egypt. You just go and worship God where you need to. But God's saying, don't go it alone. Actually, as part of the body, you have to move on together. You can't leave one part of the body in one place and uh, move on to another place yourself. And then the fourth negotiation was Pharaoh tried to say, leave your possessions here, leave your livestock in Egypt, and you just as people go out. And I think this is a clear message that God's saying he wants everything. He wants us to take everything he wants us not to keep looking back to where our possessions might be because where your treasure is, says the, the Lord, there also is your heart. And Moses refused every one of these compromises so that he would not compromise with Satan. Next, please, Jonathan. Just to kind of wrap up. Ten plagues could be of over a year's period. Seven times God said to Pharaoh, let my people go. God is patient. Very patient. But there comes a time when time runs out. 
And for those of you that studied the book of Revelation, you'll actually notice that there's a great deal of similarities in the plagues that were meted out on Egypt and those that will be meted out in the end times. So, water's turning to blood, boils, locusts, hail. They're all mentioned in the book of Revelation as a warning that whilst God is patient and he will wait, there will come a time when uh, he says, enough's enough. And I wonder if God was attacking um, the deep-rooted things that are wrong in our society today, just as he attacked the Nile gods, the sun gods, the insect gods of Egypt, what is it that he would attack in our society today? You know, it might be our celebrity culture, our desire for fame. It might be our desire for wealth or power. It might be our desire for entertainment. I wonder, what is it that God's saying to you that we need to deal with? Ten plagues, resulting in the final one of the death of the firstborn. And what a wonderful symbol that is of the way out. I'm not going to spoil the uh, sermon in a couple of weeks' time when we look at the Passover. But what we're going to be sharing today is a Passover. Is the message behind that tenth plague where God said, just as the first plague was about blood, the last one was about blood, but about the saving power of blood. How that if the blood of a lamb was put over the door of the Israelites' homes, the angel of death would, would pass by. And it's only by the shedding of blood that we can be forgiven. The Passover was born on that night of the tenth plague, the night the angel of death came. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Now, I did this magic trick for a reason. First, to uh, show that, you know, there is such thing as sleight of hand and, you know, there's nothing particularly um, supernatural or um, incredible about what I did. It is just a trick. But maybe, you know, you're feeling crushed and empty like that can. Maybe you're feeling that kind of you're in the wilderness. You've God's let you down. But what God wants to do is restore you. He wants to fill you back up again and make you into something useful. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the lessons that we can learn from the story of the Egyptian plagues. Lord, I thank you that you are almighty God. You are God over all the evil forces. You are the ultimate power, the creator of all things, the master, the Lord of the universe. And we worship you. Father, I pray that as we come now to prepare ourselves for this time of communion, to remember 
what you did, Jesus, for us, and to remember the symbols of bread and wine, but to remember the saving, redeeming power of the blood. Lord, you would just meet with us where we are. Lord, whether we're feeling crushed and empty, whether we're feeling uh, on top of the world, Lord, I pray that you would minister to us now. In Jesus' name, amen.